Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you discover you're pregnant, it's the most incredible news. And while this is a time filled with absolute joy, for many it can also be extremely nerve-wracking. For expectant mothers, there's an information overload and actually finding out where to start and how to prepare can seem so overwhelming. And that's why I want to introduce you to the Peanut app, which is a great way to explore the truths about giving birth and getting ready for the due date. Peanut introduces you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in life. So whether it's pregnancy, first years, nursery or beyond, Peanut provides access to a community of women who are there to listen, share information and offer valuable advice. So if you're looking to meet other women at a similar stage in life, then download the Peanut app for free today on your app store or head to peanut.app.link slash food for thought. Hello and welcome to Food for Thought on Motherhood, a special mini-series on all things pregnancy, childbirth and baby. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In this special mini-series, I'm joined by leading health professionals so that together we can all learn fact from fiction and support your journey, whether that's through conception, pregnancy, or just like me as a brand new mum. Deciding on the best childbirth option for you is such a personal decision and wherever you choose, the place should feel right for you. This Food for Thought on Motherhood sees midwife Marie-Louise and I explore where best to welcome your new baby into the world. Hello, Marie. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm really well, thank you. But more to the point, you are a brand new mummy. How old is she now? She is three weeks old and four days. Um, So very newborn. Oh, so precious. Thank you for spending some time with us today because I know how difficult that that can be. I think, um, so we've done my podcast previously on my birth story and now we're going to help our listeners discussing the options that are out there for them. So there are loads now, aren't there? What would you say is the most common? Yeah, exactly. There are lots of um, different options, which is brilliant for women um, because I'm a massive advocate of of always um, knowing what's available to you. So um, at the moment, uh, we have home birth, 
Um, we have a midwifery-led unit or a birth centre that's a standalone unit. So that means that it's not connected to um, an obstetrics unit or a hospital. And then you have a birth centre or midwifery-led unit that is attached to a um, obstetrics unit. Um, and then, of course, you've got the obstetrics unit itself. And that's commonly referred to as delivery suite um, or as labour ward. And then actually one thing that I didn't mention, which is always a choice, is free birth as well. So birthing mm. wherever you fancy. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. Women. I mean, it's obviously not recommended, but um, women do do it sometimes. They they choose to birth where they want to and without where, any where, medical assistance. Where would that be? Like, what, what's an example? Like, not just in your home, like somewhere well, else? Yeah. I mean, it depends where they live. So, so um, for example, some families... Um, that are perhaps traveling around um, or living in um, mobile units, for example, mm. um, they will end up birthing wherever they um, wherever they feel like it, if that's their choice. So, you know, they they might be staying in a particular area and they decide to free birth there um, and then move along to another area on their journey or, or travel. So, but mostly free birthing is um, associated with no um, medical uh, support so you don't have a midwife or a doctor or anybody with you sometimes they'll have a doula with them mm. um but and of course it isn't you know we, we don't recommend that but it, it's still a choice and, and as I said women do choose to free birth it's so interesting I'm assuming that some of these options obviously carry more risks than others do yes and I think it depends entirely on the um, woman herself and her baby so um, in terms of w- when we're talking about risk it really depends on your pregnancy so um, for example if you do have other medical conditions um, or you have any conditions that are in relation to the pregnancy um, such as pregnancy induced hypertension where your blood pressure can go up um, during pregnancy that's that's quite common now and it's becoming more and more common um, or diabetes um, or perhaps um, there's extra fluid around the baby. You know, there's there's different things um, that can happen during pregnancy and pre-pregnancy um, that increase a woman's risks. Um, so then it would be advised that she has her baby on an obstetrics-led unit. Um, however, women that are considered to be low risk and they don't have any health complications outside of pregnancy and everything during the pregnancy um, has uh, been completely normal and within what we would expect it. All of those like blood pressure readings, the measurements of mum's tummy, the scans, all of these um, different tests that we offer women, if they've all shown that everything is lovely and normal, then actually the safest place for women to give birth is at home mm. or in a birth centre. Yes, of course. I'm in awe of the fact that you are so coherent and you're three weeks in. It's extremely impressive, impressive by the way, Marie. I'm just, it's, it, I don't feel like it. I mean, I've not slept for three weeks, I can yeah. assure you. But um, yeah. yeah, I remember that. But, well, I'm still in this. Sleep's a bit better now. But anyway, I digress. So choosing the birthing <laughs> method for some people, I mean, obviously, it's a huge relief. And I'm that type of person that loved a plan. But how can we prepare our body for the birth? What What's the main thing? Is it keeping the pelvis raised or being on all fours is there something that we should be doing yeah so um during pregnancy we uh, tend to uh, our current modern lifestyle um, and living we do tend to do a lot of sitting and especially as it recently of course we've had um the, the global pandemic coronavirus um and lots of people have been working from home um and that generally means sitting um 
and we tend to tilt our pelvises a little bit forward um, when we sit and that can encourage the baby to be in something called an OP position occiput posterior um, and that simply means that the baby is back to back so the posterior part is in the back part of the occiput which is the back of the baby's head mm. um, is facing upwards so, so essentially um, the baby is looking out towards mum's tummy and it doesn't mean the majority of babies will turn during labor and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to have a more painful or a longer labor because they can turn quite quickly but um, that position is sometimes associated with those things, with a longer labour and, and women in particular um, report more back pain. So the best position for a baby to be in is occiput anterior. And that brings me back to when you are sitting and your pelvis is tilted slightly forward, um, meaning really that your knees are a little bit higher than your pelvis. Um, that encourages the back-to-back -back position. So what we want to do is we want to open the pelvis. We want to give baby as much room and as much space as possible to get into that optimal position, whereby the baby is looking towards mum's spine. And that's called occiput anterior. God, so, so it's the direct opposite of that. Yeah, yeah so the words. If, yeah, <laughs> they are all a little bit confusing. Um, but the easiest way to think of it is back-to-back, -back, that's the position um, that we'd like to try and avoid and ideally we want the, the baby's spine to be towards mummy's tummy so, so her belly button. Yeah and of course obviously to let women know um, you can do all you can to try and get your baby into this optimal position but of course nature will take its course won't it and a lot of the time you know what will be sometimes will be but why yes. not do all of that to try and enhance your chance anyway I remember sitting on a Swiss ball for pretty much my entire pregnancy um yeah. <laughs> me too a, I did the yeah same. yeah <laughs> exactly I, I've still got it now you know it's up in my nursery room and I just love sitting on it sometimes and in the early days it would really calm Zachary down in the first few weeks actually yeah and they're used to that motion I think when you've spent a lot of time on your birthing ball um mm. they do really like it I've been sitting on mine postnatally as well and um I've actually found that it's it's really supported my lower back and my pelvis as well so I think, you know, for, for women that are listening to this in, during their pregnancy, it has got its uses postnatally as well. Yeah, it's not something you just deflate. I mean, it, yeah, it's been the best thing ever um, yeah. f for me, for sure. And having a birth plan. Now, I found this um, at the time when I was pregnant, it was so helpful having a birth plan. But obviously, when it came to the birth, for me, I wish I kind of was a bit more free with it. Um, what would be your advice on that? Yeah, so... I really encourage women to have a birth plan and it's not so that you have a plan that you really need to stick to and are under the impression that if the, the you don't have the birth that you plan to have, then something really bad has happened and, and you have a negative experience. Because I think when you go into birth with that mindset of I want this particular birth and if I don't get this birth, then I would have had a negative experience, you're then at more of a risk of having a negative experience. But the purpose uh, for a birth... The purpose of a birth plan um, for me and, and the way in which that I explain this to the ladies that I look after is it's to understand and know your options. So, for example, I say to women, have, an, have a plan A, B and C. Understand what happens during a cesarean section. Know the difference um, between um, the, the categories of cesarean sections, for example. Know who you want to be in with you. 
So you can only have one person in with you when you have a, a C-section. And if you've got two birth partners, then who do you want to come with you? Is there a particular music that you would like playing? Because all of these conversations um, enable women to really think through the possibilities of what else might happen and what they would like. Because just like in life, there are no guarantees. And it really doesn't matter how much planning you do surrounding something. Sometimes things don't go according to plan. And in particular with birth, there's so many different variables that affect the birth as well. And some of them we can control, but some of them we can't control. So part of a birth plan is accepting from the get go when you're writing it, this may not go according to plan. And here are my other options to really enhance my experience. And, you know, I always say to women, skin to skin, always put skin to skin. There are certain things in your birth plan that should ideally remain the same no matter what. So skin to skin is, is a great one. Making sure that you've got the right support um, is another one. Again, music um, can make such a difference. And it doesn't matter what scenario you find yourself in. All of those things generally are still available to you. Yeah, no, that's really, really good advice. Um, a hundred, a hundred percent. I think knowing that you have choices is, is invaluable and that you can do what you can. And I remember taking things into the hospital room with me that helped at the time as well, because I had started and it, I actually found it again, invaluable during pregnancy. I learned a lot. It even helped with my bowel movements was yeah. hypnobirthing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Do you want to go and um, explain to our listeners what this is and how it could be beneficial perhaps? Yeah, so I'm a massive fan of hypnobirthing and I'm actually a qualified hypnobirthing teacher myself. Um, it isn't for everyone and some people say, oh no, hypnobirthing, yeah, that, it's, that, that's really not for me. I don't like the sound of that. But I do encourage um, as many women as possible to just give it a try. So basically, it is a set of mind management tools or practices that you can use on a daily basis. And Simply speaking, our thoughts affect how we feel inside and they actually affect our hormonal composition and that we are really interested in during birth because in order for your birth to prog progress as it's meant to, um, you need to have the right hormonal cocktail or composition as we refer to it as. And that means that you want your oxytocin to be um, really flowing because that's the main hormone that's responsible for those contractions and for labor to continue on. And then you've also got your endorphins, which are your natural pain um, relievers as well. Now, I'm sure that lots of people are aware when you um, feel anxious or worried, then you release a different set of hormones. And generally, that's the fight or flight hormones and adrenaline is is um, is set off then. And that can inhibit the flow of oxytocin. Mm. So. Very simply speaking, I don't want to go into a biology lesson about all of the different hormones. You don't really need to know that. But what you need to know specifically about hypnobirthing is that it can really help to enhance the flow of hormones that you want to encourage throughout your labor and even after birth. So oxytocin um, is the love hormone and we release it when we feel calm, comfortable and relaxed. So you want that to continue on in your postnatal journey as well. So skin to skin, once again, contact um, also releases oxytocin. So you, you, you want to make sure that your brain is in the right state of mind in order for your body to give it, um, to have it the best chance possible to perform at its best because it will do all of these things naturally for you. And part of hypnobirthing as well 
is letting go of that neocortex, so that really human and logical um, thinking part of the brain, the one that's <laughs> not been working all that great for me after my lack of sleep. <laughs> um, but we want the primal brain to really take over. And, and way, some way uh, I, I simply explain this to women is, um, is sex. So when you're having sex, uh, you don't want your neocortex to be off thinking about what you're having for dinner or whether or not you've done the, the washing or whatever. <laughs> you you want to be completely relaxed and you want your primal brain to really take over and um, in order for you to have really good sex. And it's exactly the same during birth. You don't want to be thinking and contemplating all of these things um, because you're not your, your body's not going to perform at its best. And hypnobirthing helps you to let go of that neocortex part of the brain, engage more with the primal part of the brain and allow the body to take over, flow and um, perform at its best. Oh, completely. And if there's one thing in hi- I know hindsight, it's a beautiful thing, but I had done all the hypnobirthing and I loved it and I was so invested in it, but yeah. I didn't apply it very well in the hospital-based scenario that I ended up in and the situation that happened to me, which I won't go into on this episode because I've got a whole other podcast with Marie on my birth story on the main Food for Thought series. But if anyone's listening, do if, if you're interested in what Marie has just said, please do try and envisage it in a multitude of scenarios because it, I yes. think that that's probably, probably beneficial because there are so many different stages of labor. I mean... I thought mm-hmm. it, it took me a few days, but I know Marie, you had a very different experience. So, so what are these different stages of it that women can expect to go through? Yeah. So um, in midwifery and obstetrics, we refer to three stages of labor. But in reality, there are a few more stages of labor that um, we often talk about. So I talk about there's five different stages of labor. And um that's early labor or latent phase of labor. Um, then we have established labor. Then we have the transition phase when you're about to have your baby. So when your cervix is fully dilated um, and it, there's like a little bit of a pause sometimes and your contractions can actually die off a little bit, but they do come back for the next stage, which is the pushing stage where you actually meet your baby. And then the fifth stage is the delivery of the placenta. So as originally mentioned, in maternity, we refer refer to three stages, but I don't actually think that that's helpful for women to um, think about or know about um, because the the stages are are far too long um, and and kind of lumped together. I think it's far better to break it down into those five stages that I've just explained rather than the the medical terms that we use uh, in maternity. Because as you know, when you start laboring and that early and latent phase of labor it's really beneficial for women to understand that this time can take um, quite a while and if you think oh I'm in the first stage of labor here then you kind of are um, under the impression that you've gone into labor but really in the latent phase of labor um, you aren't in established labor which is the next phase if if that makes sense. Yeah no a hundred percent it it does and I think um it's all very well speaking about it, isn't it? But when you go through it and, and you're getting contractions and you're you're trying to visually think about where you're at, perhaps the most helpful thing, instead of worrying actually maybe about the stages or the dilation, because, but then again, every woman wants to know how dilated they are. Don't, yeah. I mean, how can you not want to know that sort of information? Because it's almost motivating, isn't it? It is. And I must admit, 
um, when I had my home birth recently, I really wanted to know what my cervix was doing. And I really yeah. wanted to know how dilated I am. And <laughs> a midwife and, giving birth, I would love to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was interesting because I was such a midwife in my own birth. But, yeah. but anyway, that's a side note. Um, but I can completely understand is what I'm saying, that women do really focus on how far dilated they are. But actually, um, that can change very, very quickly. And um, it, it, it did for me as well. So, you know, you can go from being two centimetres to eight centimetres very quickly. You can be mm. at seven centimetres for a very long time. Or you can even be nine centimetres or with what we call an anterior lip, which just means there's like a little bit of the cervix that still um, hasn't quite um, gone back behind the baby's head and allowed for that full dilatation. So you can have an anterior lip for an hour or, or, or two. Mm. Um, and, you know, you might be thinking, oh, right, I'm really ready to push my baby out now. But actually, you've still got a little bit um, of cervix left. So what I'm saying is, is really try not to focus on how far dilated your cervix is and try to go within and going back just a little bit about hypnobirthing. That's what hypnobirthing can really mm. do is it can enable you to go into your body through that deep breathing and that deep relaxation. So that's why it can be really helpful um, for, for all births as well. But yes, yeah, ask a focusing. question on that. The cervix. Mm. You, know, you said if it's not tilted, I wonder because I had a forceps deliver in the end. But would somebody have to, if that was the way it was headed, and the cervix still wasn't in the position it's meant to be in, would yeah. they still be able to do a forceps delivery if the cervix hadn't moved? So they will try to, if it's safe, they will. They can try to push the cervix back out of the way in order to um, to perform the forceps, but. Um, if the cervix is really starting to swell um, and there's concerns over what's happening with the cervix and, and the reason that that's happening, um, then they may not be able to have a vaginal birth because it might not be safe and it can cause trauma to the cervix as well. And that can, of course, cause bleeding. Um, mm. So it really depends on the on the situation and the consistency of the cervix. If the if it's just thin. Um, then sometimes it can be maneuvered back or we just need to give it a little bit more time or if the contractions have died off a bit then perhaps um, it will be recommended that there's a little bit of syntocin on which is a hormone drip that's administered and that can help to bring the contractions back which will in turn um, move the anterior lip so it, it depends exactly what's happening to the cervix um, but as I said if it's displaying signs of swelling and it's not very happy then ideally we'd like to avoid um, interfering with our fingers and kind of pushing it too much of course and that's called um induction isn't it or being induced when you're when you're put on the the drip well that's right and again it depends on the the clinical situation so if you're already in labor it's referred to augmentation because it's continuing to to, to bring the labor on if we are starting the labor um completely artificially then that's called an induction of labor so meaning that your body is not showing any signs of you being in labor already then that would be an induction, yeah. Yeah, no, there's, and, and I think that's probably a lot of people listening are probably thinking, well, where does pain relief come into this as well? Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about epidurals. And I remember on the hypnobirthing course, um, it had really, I've got to be very honest, I think it had put in my head that epidurals were bad. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I was like one of the last things I wanted. And I can see the reasons for and against, but perhaps for our listeners, you could go into a little bit why, it's not bad, but um, no. people may choose to have it or go without it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, I think sometimes epidurals are given a bad rap 
Um, and I think it's for two two reasons mainly. Um, one of them being, um, and, I, and I really don't know why this is because it's absolutely not true, but sometimes people think that they have failed if they have an mm. epidural and that that's yeah. a reflection of them and their ability, which couldn't be further from the truth. And um, the second reason is uh, when epidurals first um, came about, uh, there was a much greater risk of paralysis. So meaning that the procedure could, could cause mum to become paralysed. Now, the procedure is very, very safe nowadays, and that is extremely rare. I mean, I've been in midwifery for over a decade and I have never seen it. The worst thing that I've seen from an epidural is a really bad headache um, postnatally. Mm. That's the very worst thing that I have seen. Um, and that's not to say that those that, that the other risks um, that are associated with an epidural don't happen. I'm just trying to um, illustrate actually generally how safe the procedure is. Um, yeah. And you may need to have an epidural if you've been in latent phase of labor for days, which sometimes happens. So that's that, that early stage of labor that we spoke about before. And that is when your cervix is less than four centimeters dilated. We consider you to be in latent phase. Now, unfortunately, some women with their first babies are in latent phase for days and it becomes exhausting. Then they go into um, established labor or active labor and um, they, they are completely exhausted. They, their energy levels have been completely depleted. They'll end up perhaps having low blood sugar because they've not been eating and drinking as much as they have mm. um, needed to be. Then perhaps the baby um, also becomes a little bit dehydrated and the heart rate can go up. And anyway, it can cause sometimes a, a cascade of things. Now, yeah. an epidural in a circumstance like that can be really helpful for a mum because it can mm. help to relieve her discomfort which is, you know, massively beneficial when you've been in labour for three days. And it can enable mum to get some much needed rest. Now, you and I both know <laughs> what it's like having a newborn and how full yes. on it is. So if you've been in labour for three days and then you've gone on to have yep. um, a, a, an even longer labour whereby you've then needed to push baby out or perhaps you've needed to have a forceps birth and then you've had a little bit of a bleed after birth, um, and and then you you've gone into the postnatal period completely exhausted, and this should be you know such a beautiful and wonderful time in your life where you're meeting your baby and it's all so exciting, but you are completely exhausted, and that physical exhaustion will really have an impact on how you feel as a new mum. So an oh, epidural yeah. can be so helpful in that circumstance because if mum gets a couple of hours rest then she's going to feel so much better. She, she will perhaps push better because she's going to have more energy to push. And when she meets her baby, she's going to be feeling so much better um, because she's a, she's had that rest um, beforehand. It makes such a difference. I, I mean, I developed psychosis afterwards from lack of sleep and rest. And I wonder how bad it would have actually been if I hadn't have been fortunate enough to have the epidural at some stage as well. It could have been worse. So I really really hope people listening don't judge be open-minded to what will be yeah. and what about water births because that's something I know I wanted on my list it didn't quite happen for me but I think you you had a water birth didn't you I think Marie I yeah, yeah. yeah I did. how does that work what difference how does it feel what difference does it make yeah so once again I'm a massive fan of um water birth um and I did have a beautiful water birth myself um, and the reason that I chose to have a water birth and actually something that I just want to say here actually is that when it comes to birth, you know, you, I sound very much like, oh, yeah, I've had this 
brilliant, beautiful home water birth. Everything went <laughs> according no. to plan for me. Isn't that brilliant? Don't but, feel bad. It's inspiring. Women need to hear positive stories, Marie. Yeah, but they do. And I always say that do seek positive stories out as well. But I just also, I do really want to stress that there is absolutely an element of luck involved with that too. Mm. Um, for example, when my waters went, there wasn't any meconium in my waters. As a midwife, I'm thinking, is the like all clear? Have we got to go in for meconium <laughs> stain like, you know? And um, and these things, like my baby was in a good position, um, but that doesn't mean to say that that's because I did the things that I did that created that. Perhaps it helped, but um, it doesn't mean to say that if you do all of these things, then you're guaranteed to have this perfect water birth that you've got on your on your plan. There is definitely an element of luck involved um but anyway so back to water birth the things that water birth um can do to, that really help labor um is that generally women that do have a water birth have less medication or less need for um pain relief and um the other thing is it can also affect the time in labor as well so there is some research to show that it can reduce the length of labor and it can also um, reduce the need for artificial oxytocin which is what we spoke about before um, when that comes to induction of labour or augmentation, when you're wanting to um, to bring the labour back on if it started to die off a bit. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Also, there are higher rates of um, normal vaginal birth when women do have water birth and lower rates of episiotomies um, and significant tears. So that's um, sort of third degree and fourth degree tears. Um, although there is actually uh, some research that I must say that it can increase the risk of um, small grazes or labial tears um, that, that some research did suggest. But if you kind of contrast that with the fact that it it's known to reduce the risk of significant tears, meaning third and fourth degree, um, then I think you'll agree with me that mm. you know I, I'd rather risk a labial tear than <laughs> um, than not. Oh yeah. There's also um, possibility of lower rates of um, hemorrhaging after birth or what we refer to as a postpartum hemorrhage. So there's a whole host of um, benefits that come with that. But anecdotally, one that I the reason that I really wanted, you know, I understand all of the scientific research behind it and the, the, the benefits. But something that I saw at Waterbirth was just how peaceful women and their babies are. 
And when the babies come into the world, they just take a little bit longer to kind of come round and take their first breath. And, and sometimes that can be alarming for people that aren't pre-warned about this because they think, oh, my God, my baby's not breathing. What's wrong? But actually, it's really normal because babies have gone from water to water. And it's a, a lot more of a, a, a gentle transition. If you think when you're born into dry land, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Lots of babies are born on dry land without any problems. But when you think about it, they come immediately into a, a dry environment, one that's quite bright. Um, it's about 15 degrees cooler. It's a lot louder. Now, when they're born into water, generally the lighting is dim. They can't hear the sounds straight away or perhaps, you know, other people's voices or beeps or whatever else is, is going on. And if it's kept at the correct temperature, then they don't have that instant change of temperature either. And that's why they can sometimes take a little minute to come round and wow. to take that first breath just because they feel really calm. And I did actually have that with my baby. My boyfriend mm. told him beforehand um, that he said, is the baby okay? Is the baby okay? Because she was just, she opened her eyes and she was just looking around. And that's what I've seen so many times in my career. Um, and there's no research to actually support um, the benefits on the neonate, so for your, for your baby. But anecdotally, as I said, that's what I've seen from my practice over the years. And that's what I experienced firsthand myself. So interesting. It's honest. I I find this subject fascinating. It's this. It's just mind blowing. A women's bodies are amazing. The options yes. of birth that we now have and learning, yeah. like you just said, because if you didn't know that, you could be quite panicked. There, there's there's quite a few things that if you weren't educated about this area, that you'd think, why why is this happening? And I think one of the biggest drives for women that they're told about is things like, well, prevent your perineum from tearing or, or mm -hmm. things to do, um, rather than thinking about well, what actually happens once the baby's born that minute as well. Yes. But on the subject, um, I'm waffling, on the subject of the perineum, um, I think we should definitely explain to listeners things that we can do to, to help us stretch because mm -hmm. I, I swear it helps. It really yeah. does help. <laughs> Yes, it does. Um, and, and research really does support that as well. So um, in particular, for first time mums, perineal massage um, can reduce the risk of um, significant tears. And so um, perineal massage is just simply, it sounds like it's this really nice, relaxing thing. Um, but actually, uh, it, it's not that it's not nice, but it's not that relaxing. I don't know how you found it. Um, but mm -hmm. I didn't find it all that relaxing, if well, I'm honest. I've got no, I found it really, I started it and it's just, it's quite, it is painful. I don't find it relaxing. And then I no. got an Epino device, which I don't know what you think about that. But for me, I actually found that mm -hmm. better than doing the massage myself because it's more of a, a device. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And some women really love the Epino. Um, one thing that I um, have to mention on, on that mm -hmm. topic is that with it, there was a case reported, I believe it was in Australia, but I, I might be wrong there. But there was a case where a woman actually had a second degree tear antenatally <gasps> during pregnancy from using the epino no. because it was, wasn't used correctly. So just if you if women are using it, they just need to really, really be careful that they don't overstretch. Um, because your your perineum is absolutely designed to stretch, but it can take a little bit of time um, to build up that elasticity. So, um, and also with the epino, the um, the perineum is designed to enable the, a baby's heads to fit through. But if yeah. you're continuing to use this product really regularly throughout your pregnancy, then there is um, a perhaps we, that we don't understand so much about yet because it's a fairly new product. 
perhaps the long-term effects of that postnatally. So if you are using it regularly, just make sure that postnatally you're really strict with your pelvic floor exercises mm. and making sure that you really tighten those muscles back up again um, to ensure that you don't have things like incontinence later on in life. Um, so I think it's just balancing up what works for you personally, how you're using those kinds of devices. But generally speaking, perineal massage and preparing the perineum, if you do want to use um, a device like the EpiNo, um, can uh, help to prepare your body ahead of birth and to prevent um, tearing as well during birth. Um, I mean, but you because... have to do it so slowly, don't you? Because mm-hmm. I remember at the, the start thinking, oh, I can only get to four centimetres, thinking this is never going to happen and then eventually I very very slowly like Marie said please take all of the information she said very seriously because that does sound terrifying that the side effects of it not going right but I did get it to 10 eventually it can happen yes yeah exactly exactly and and lots lots, like I say lots of women do use it and they do really like it and they do feel like it really benefited them and I think one of the main benefits from um from doing perineal massage and feeling that kind of burning and stretching sensation if you are using epino um, is that familiarization mm-hmm. so sometimes what happens and I've seen this lots of times when women are about to have their baby they feel that 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 burning sensation and I have felt it really really strongly yeah. even knowing everything that I know I must be completely honest it, it freaked me out because I thought oh my goodness I can feel myself tearing and I was very fortunate enough not to tear actually mm-hmm. But it really felt like that's what was happening. And I'd done perineal massage. I know about and it's it's really normal to have that feeling of my goodness. But I think it would have been 10 times worse had I mm. not done perineal massage and f- become familiar because it's not a familiar sensation that you that that burning that you feel and that real stretching, um, you know, it, it is concerning. And like I said, I did think to myself, I can physically feel myself being torn here. And what happens, and I've seen it lots of times, is women can then tense up. And that's the opposite of what you want to do during your the delivery of your baby's head, is you, don't, you really want to avoid that because, um, of course, uh, relaxation and tensing can't go together. And one of them needs to win that battle. And generally, tension wins over relaxation um, mm-hmm. because we can get tense a lot quicker than we can relax. So I think one of the main benefits to using that and doing perineal massage is familiarization and not freaking out at that time and clinging onto your baby and holding tight and tensing because that's not what you want to do once again you want to go with your body you want to deeply relax you want to be deeply breathing um, and doing everything that you can to accommodate your body it's nice to hear you being open and honest about that marie because yeah there's, there's no denying birth the, the sensations you feel are mm-hmm. just up there with you just can't describe it really yeah, um powerful I, I try and use the word powerful <laughs> that's nice as much as possible yeah <laughs> I just want to be honest and equally I don't want to scare people and I guess let's talk about c-sections as well because I think that's something that also gets a bad rap whereas actually it can happen for a multitude of reasons and it can also be a choice for people and I don't think there should be any judgment when it comes to mm-hmm. when it comes to birth um yeah I don't even know where to start on that. Well, what do you think about C-sections as a midwife? Yeah, so we're very fortunate in this country to have access to um, such a a life-saving procedure because um, that's what it can absolutely be. And we can, you know, when we go into labour now, and this is what I thought as a midwife, when I have my baby, I have got access to care whereby my baby can be delivered within minutes 
if needed to be. So if we're concerned about lack of oxygen, something, you know, and a hypoxic brain injury, for example, if we're concerned, and this is, you know, the worst of the worst I'm talking, if we're concerned about that, then great, because I have access to such a fantastic procedure that can essentially save my baby's life and get yeah. my baby out really safely. And that's how I view um, cesarean section. I think they can be a real life saving procedure. And on the flip side to that as well, it's not just about the clinical indications for a need for a C-section. If women have tocophobia, for example, with severe fear of childbirth, um, then a cesarean section can be a fantastic option to enable a woman who would not have had a baby had she had to labour and give birth. And that's the reality for some women. They are absolutely terrified. And no matter how much work you do, because I would really always encourage women with a fear that that, you know, that we talk about this fear, that, that we do as much education um, surrounding it as possible. So then hopefully we can combat that fear. But if that's not an option, then perhaps a cesarean section is the best option for women like that. So it's about looking at it from both angles as well. If that's something that, that you would really, really prefer, then that's fantastic because it means that we are looking after your mental health, which is mm. just as important as your physical or, or, and clinical well-being. I couldn't agree more. I had friends with breached babies and it enabled them to have a safe delivery. If you think about the, I always think back to the olden days, I'm a sucker for period dramas and things. And I think how many women, you know, died in childbirth and, you know, I probably wouldn't have made it through in the olden days without intervention. So we have to be kind. I think Mm -hmm. recovery time though is an aspect of C-sections that people often really worry about, don't they? Yes, exactly. And there is a longer recovery period. Of course, it's it's still major surgery. So there is a longer recovery period. However, there are things that we can do. And this is why I explain to women that you should really have a plan A, B and C and find out about C-sections. Because if you are planning a home water birth and you end up having a cesarean section, it can be very scary. Not only can the procedure be scary because you didn't know what to expect or plan for, but the postnatal period then comes as a total shock. And that can go for any birth, actually, if you've planned one birth and you end up having, you know, you planned a home birth and you have a forceps birth, for example. Um, Then it's important that we understand about postnatal recovery time. So, yes, it can take longer and you have got a wound there. But the things that you can really do um, are ideally we want to prevent infection as much as possible because that can delay your recovery period. And it's important to follow the guidelines of your local trust. So your obstetrician and your midwife will absolutely give you um, guidance on how to reduce the risk of infection and just make sure that that your hygiene is is as best as as it possibly can be. Um, And then eating and drinking, um, mobilisation. And when it comes to both of those things, that can reduce constipation, um, which actually it sounds like, oh, it's just a bit of constipation. That can be a massive problem for women postnatally that have Mm. had a C-section because generally they are less mobile and it can be really painful Um, for women that do have severe constipation so doing some really simple things like that like understanding wound care so that's not so scary that you do have this wound that you need to look after because you've got a newborn baby to care for too but you need to rather than then like you know researching and finding out about just understand a little bit about it and then as I say mobilization so getting you up um, as soon as possible and just even if you're just stretching your legs out or stretching your arms out and getting that blood flow around your body because you are at more of an increased risk of um, of a blood clot as well 
And just eating and drinking, of course, diet is really, really um, important and a crucial part of your recovery as well. So there are some simple things that you can do to help enhance it. But overall, we won't escape the fact that it does have a longer recovery period. Yeah, that was really coherently answered. Thank you. And I'll just stress again, um, fiber and water, guys. Fiber and water are your best friends post-birth. I mean, the anxiety about the first poo is big. Um, Mm -hmm. And it can be very, very painful. And bowel movements, they they do happen. You just need to eat and keep drinking. Flush, 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 flush with the water. Um, Yes. We do have lots of questions from our listeners for you, Maria. I'm going to try and pick out um, a few that, I think that we haven't touched on in this episode. Mila has said, is having a doula a good idea and a worthwhile investment? Yes, absolutely, I would say. Um, We know that continuous support during labour from someone that you know and trust um, actually reduces your chance of needing an emergency caesarean section. It can reduce the length of labour. It can reduce other interventions, reduce the need for pain relief. There are lots of known benefits Um, when it comes to having a supportive birth partner. Now, when it comes to having a doula, a doula is someone, of course, that is specifically trained to care for women during their pregnancy, um, during labour and birth. So I I had a doula personally, and I would really recommend if you can afford one. Um, And perhaps if if, um, money is an issue, people hopefully will want to buy you things um, for afterbirth or perhaps you know, towards the end of your pregnancy. And when people ask, what would you like? Don't be afraid of saying, actually, I've got a pot together because I'm, I'm planning on having a doula. So rather than buying mm. presents, would you mind contributing to um, a service rather than a physical gift? But I would recommend them. They are fantastic. It's a really, really, really good idea. Uh, this is a good one for you, Marie Louise, uh, not Louise, Lucy, that's your Marie Louise. Really, yeah. <laughs> Lucy has said, I really want a home birth, but I'm scared I won't be able to go without an epidural. Any tips? Yes. So first and foremost, you really need to do as much as you possibly can to understand what happens during labor and birth, because I think your fear of wanting of wanting an epidural um, comes from a place of the unknown. So really, um, really. Um, diverge into what happens during during labor so what causes contractions how might contractions feel and understanding that this is all a normal part of labor I think can really really help you because sometimes when you end up wanting an epidural it's because you don't understand okay this is actually really normal and always remember as well if you do end up wanting an epidural it doesn't matter you can transfer in and have an epidural you don't need to be scared of it you don't need to be scared of absolutely anything you just need to understand it and understand prepare ahead of time as much as possible prepare your body prepare your mind do lots of education surrounding birth have a good birth um, support partner and then if you do need to have one don't be scared of it you can transfer in lovely yeah definitely um cynthia has said Oh, Cynthia, I'm going to jump in with this one as well. Great question. Um, She said, I've heard that pelvic floor exercises are really important. How Mm -hmm. often should I be practicing these in the third trimester? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Marie, what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, second that, I do. Um, Yes, absolutely. It's really crucial. And lots of people, I think, are under the impression that we need to ignore the pelvic floor during pregnancy and we just focus on it postnatally. But absolutely not. During pregnancy... 
your body is under a lot of strain generally and of course the pelvic region is under particular strain from the weight of the growing baby the amniotic fluid and the placenta so it's really important that you do your pelvic floor exercises during pregnancy because sometimes um, that can actually affect incontinence during pregnancy so sometimes women will leak urine um, towards the end of their pregnancy now we want to try to exercise those muscles as much as possible to avoid that if it happens it happens but if we can prevent incontinence during pregnancy that's really beneficial postnatally because you've kind of got ahead of the game yes very 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 true now we're going to move on to our fact or fiction round marie are you mm-hmm. ready <laughs> i am ready <laughs> Not bad on no sleep. Here we go. So, um, once you have a cesarean, you can't give birth vaginally. That's fiction. Babies born in water birth can drown. That is also fiction. But let me just explain a little bit more about that. Yeah, you can, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, sometimes babies can um, actually breathe in, so to speak, the water. Um, aspirate the water and that of course is not helpful for the lungs um, so it's not necessarily that they will drown but there is um, there is a possibility it's very very rare that that happens and usually it's because the baby uh, the water's not the right temperature or the baby has been overstimulated so they'll take that um, that initial breath too soon so to speak um, so they can't and the other thing is the umbilical cord is still delivering oxygen rich blood um, to the baby so therefore the baby can't drown because the cord is still pulsating um, but yeah just a, just a side note on that I think that's where that comes from the idea that they can drown but it's not drowning no sometimes you can aspirate and um, generally m- the majority of babies the vast majority of babies recover with no prob- long-term problems whatsoever. Thank goodness um, mm-hmm. average time established from labour to be fully dilated is eight hours Uh, that is fiction (laughs) absolute fiction what a laugh um you should give birth on your back absolute fiction (laughs) Um, you should give birth in the position that you feel most comfortable in being on your back isn't necessarily helpful but if that's what you're most comfortable with you're the birth boss there you go birth boss having an epidural increases your chances of a cesarean that's fiction according to NICE um, anyway, but there will be some experts that will dispute that, but that is fiction according to NICE. Good answer. And big hips make for an easier birth. Fiction. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, we used to x-ray women years ago um, and have a look at the the, the pelvis and whatever else. Really? Yeah, I say we did. This was not in my lifetime. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. But wow. yes, it, it did happen to see, they, they would assess the uh, how adequate the pelvis was. But we now know that there isn't actually any indication um, between those two, which is why we've completely moved away from x-raying women, uh, which we shouldn't be doing in pregnancy anyway. But um, yeah, it, you might have a tiny little pelvis, but actually it's perfectly adequate for your size baby to fit through. You might have a um, particularly large pelvis, but perhaps um, the baby's not in a good position and it doesn't necessarily mean that the baby will pass through the pelvis with ease. Oh, so interesting. Um, Right, you can't eat during labour. This overall is fiction. However, if there is a very increased risk of you needing a caesarean section, some hospitals will advise that you are nil by mouth, as we call it, Mm. um, during labour. But overall, 
unless there's a real clinical indication, you should not be nail by mouth in labor. And this can actually lead to dehydration and exhaustion. So yeah. overall, it's fiction, but there are a particular set of circumstances whereby women may be advised to be nil by mouth in labour. Sorry, a bit long-winded, but no, we have to cover good. all angles. We do, we really do. Um, labour doesn't begin immediately after water breaks. That's true, yes. Um, it can begin, your, lab- your, your waters can go, like what, what happened with you. Um, your mm. waters can go and you don't go into labour. Um, your waters perhaps might not go at all and babies can be born in their waters, although that's very rare. Um, or your waters can go um, midway through labour. They can basically go any time. They kind of do their own thing. <laughs> there we go. Um, smaller babies make giving birth easier. Fiction. Yeah. Absolute Not, fiction. Exactly. Yeah. Just wait for this one. Not all labours result in a euphoric feeling. Uh, yes, that is. <laughs> unfortunately, um, that is true. Not all labours do result in that. And unfortunately, sometimes women do have... Um, traumatic or negative Mm. experiences Um, but sometimes it does I mean it did for me so there we go exactly (laughs) that was a lovely fact or fiction round and so informative and it does wrap up the episode and it's a shame because I do feel like there's so much that we can discuss on this subject um Marie Louise there's 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 too much there but is. We do I finish... feel like I didn't cover everything, but yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if people want to know more, I, I will mention that in a minute at the end of where they can go to read more. But we'll finish with our food for thoughts. I think to start, like all mums, I mean, I had hoped for the the, the dream birth. And it, I want to tell people that it can happen, but also be open to changes because the biggest, not mistake, but the biggest learning lesson I had was, I need to be more open to things not quite going in the way that I'd hoped. You know, if you are open, but you have a plan, it's going to be much more bearable and you'll be able to enjoy the experience of birth in a a better way. But, you know, now I have Zachary, I, even though it was not great for me, I would do it all over again. So all of it down to the things I worried about when I was pregnant, the tearing, the the hemorrhoids, the the pelvic girdle pain, all the things you can experience on the journey along the way. You just, you, it's not that you forget, you deal with it and what you have at the end is worth everything. It's, and I find it really empowering to listen to positive and negative birthing stories because I think no matter what, a baby comes into the world and I truly hope that through my open and honest conversations and Marie today helping you that the more informed we are, we could just support each other as women and be less judgmental, I think. But Marie, what would your food for thought be for our listeners today? No, I I totally agree with absolutely everything that you just said. Um, But my food for thought is to explore all options always. So you can never go wrong with this one. You always have options, no matter what. So even if things don't go according to plan, you have options that things aren't that black and white in maternity. We have policies, we have guidelines, we have tick boxes. Yes, we have all of those things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you and your family fit into those and you still have options. So ask, what are the benefits of this? Ask, what else can you do for me? Ask about the research that's related to what you're being advised. And just say, is there anything else that I can do in my personal circumstances? Because we are all very unique individuals and you always have options. And when you explore those options, it gives you an element of control in situations whereby you might feel out of control. 
So, for example, if you are giving birth and things aren't going according to plan and you need to be transferred in from your home birth, for example, Mm. making sure that you explore the options available to you gives you that element of control of, right, okay, well, at least I had control over that. and, And I was then able to do that because things veered off in a different direction. So I can't stress enough just asking questions um, and finding out what else can be done for you as a unique individual, not as somebody that fits into a policy or, as I said, a tick box system and just making sure that you're very, very well educated. Oh, Marie, you're you're so inspiring and so just full of wonderful information. Thank you for being a brand new mum coming on this podcast where where can everybody go to oh. find a bit more out about you and if they need any guidance no thank you so much for having me it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you um and yes I post very regularly most of it on Instagram has become about yeah. me and my baby I apologize in advance um <laughs> but you can find me on Instagram I am the modern midwife and I also have online antenatal courses that you can download in the comfort of your own home um, and watch them as and when you like. And I've included as much information as I possibly can in the courses. Marie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love the others in this mini series. So click subscribe and have them all downloaded in one go. If you have time to, please do leave a review so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and the ultimate aim is to hopefully help more and more people. For more information about me or my clinic retrition, books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. 